Season 1, Episode 1 of Twins Discuss. I'm Raquel, a research scientist. And I'm Raven, a medical professional. Today, the Twins Discuss, Marcel Petio. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast contains adult language, mentions of murder, assault, anti-Semitic activity, and gore that may not be appropriate for some listeners. This podcast was written using information from various sources. It is presented as accurately as possible, though some of what is mentioned is simply speculation. Sources can be found on our social media pages at Twins Discuss Podcast. So Raven wants to preface that she does not speak French. (laughs) Neither of us do. So, if we butcher the pronunciations, we're sorry. Very sorry. It is not intentional. No, we're trying our best. So, I have no idea what today's podcast is about. Besides the disclaimer that I just read. (laughs) She has no idea. I wrote the entire thing myself. And I just told her that this guy was a very bad dude. He was a bad dude. Yeah. And... I've never heard of him, which is unusual because I spend a large majority of my free time researching this particular type of person. Which brings up something I was thinking about the other day. Um, Why are women especially so consumed with true crime? Oh, it's... Yeah. It's got to be the psychology aspect of it, but we keep the ID channel going. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we, you and I watch it. My, Our mother has a degree in criminal... Criminal justice. Criminal justice, yeah. So she was. she's incredibly interested in it. The other night, she fell asleep while watching one of her true crime episodes. And Daddy was like, you fell asleep while watching one of your crime episodes. You must have been really tired. <laughs> like it, it, For some reason, especially with women, it just runs in our... It runs in our family, to be certain, but I I cannot watch anything without having the lights on or during daylight. And even the lights on don't really make me feel better. I, I need to watch things during daylight. Otherwise, I'm watching things like Rick and Morty. Really? Because I'll watch, I'll watch it at any time of the day. I'll watch it when I'm home alone. I'll watch it at night. I'll watch it at day. I'll watch it in the middle of the evening. I'll read things. Nope, definitely not me. Can't do it. Can't do it. Hmm. Well, they each their own. Yeah, like I'm working on the other, um, one of our other podcasts right now, and I was doing it last night, and I was up to about 11 last night, and I realized that, no, no, I can't do this when, <laughs> when the sun isn't out, and it's not even about true crime. <laughs> so. Well, I guess since the days are longer right now, it makes it easier. Hopefully, it'll stay that way, but let's not get into legislation. Marcel André Félix Petio was born January 17th of 1897. So that makes him a what? Capricorn? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that this is really old. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he's a Capricorn. That was not where I was going with that, Raven. (laughs) Um, So I couldn't find anything out on his parents. I I definitely looked because a lot of people's like how their parents were with them or acted around them helped influence who they eventually became. Though it seems with him, um, he had a stable background. So pretty so, un, not unusual. No, none of the like hallmarks of 
somebody, you know, no, none of the peeing in the bed, none of the getting beat up, none of the mama complexes. No, it, it seems like he had a very huh. good upbringing, and it was all him. So, um, like I said, I found plenty on his childhood. So, apparently, he was said to have been a brilliant child, uh, but he suffered from severe behavioral issues. Hmm. Um, so, these factoids are hearsay that were potentially done up by the media when they found out about what happened to him. Um, So, a lot of it could just be sensationalized to add to the horrific effect of his already horrific acts. Um, So, when he was 11, he stole his father's gun and fired it off in class. But that's not the most sensationalized part. He subsequently propositioned a female classmate for sex. After shooting the gun off? Yep. At 11. So... Just walked up into class wow. and shot a gun off and said to a girl, hey, do you want to have sex? Wow. I I know. A glimpse of things to come. Er. He, he was already not very, very stable. At the age of 17, he was arrested for stealing mail, but was ultimately deemed mentally unfit by a judge to stand trial. Yeah. That, yeah. I wish y'all could see the look on her face. I mean, that's, is that like, is stealing mail one of those sort of, you know, gateway (laughs) crimes too? Well, it actually builds up to a lot of his future. So, um, he was expelled innumerable times from school for inappropriate behavior, but he finished school at a special academy in 1915 at the age of 18. What's a special academy? Like, boarding school? It sounds like it. That That's kind of what the descriptions were. So, I just said special academy because it was an academy for individuals who suffered from mental illness, such as him. Um, at that time, Lord knows what they actually called it. I didn't go that deep. Yeah. Um, so, despite this deviant behavior, uh, he volunteered for the French Army in 1916 to serve in World War One, Like you do. However, he suffered a significant breakdown after being wounded and gassed. So, he was sent to various places for rehabilitation, um, but he continued his habit of stealing items such as morphine, blankets, wallets, and letters. So, he was obviously a kleptomaniac. To just be the basis, the foundation of everything, kleptomania was the first thing he seemed to latch on to. So, did he receive any sort of mental health evaluations so now that you bring that up so he was um shortly after that he was jailed because he stole all that stuff and the army recommended that he go um into an asylum for committal kind of not the same thing i was thinking about but a place to get some sort of help although at that time Probably less help and more medication and or strapping down of people. I, I think that's what they did back then. But instead, so the Army released him on, with disability benefits and told him, hey, you need to go to an asylum. But instead, he enrolled in an accelerated medical program. They sent him to med school. And by Accelerated, it was an eight-month program that he graduated from in 1921 with his medical degree. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They they allowed a kleptomaniac with 
a violent history go to medical school and finish in eight months to become a doctor like a med- like a medical doctor like a MD? like I can prescribe you cool okay yep. and, and this then, is all in France right all in France okay and then shortly thereafter once he graduated in 1921 he became addicted to narcotics I can't imagine how he got a hold of those it makes sense with him stealing morphine so wow so then he began, unbeknownst to his patients, to apply for medical assistance on their behalf and then steal the payments. Mm. Yeah. He gained a reputation as a questionable medical practitioner because he was stealing narcotics and performing then illegal abortions using fake credentials because apparently being a doctor just wasn't enough. Was he like a general practitioner and not a surgeon? Yeah, he was a general practitioner. Or so it seems through what I've read. Right. Mm. Um... He uh, continued to imbibe in petty theft during this time and started to tax evade. Um, in 1926, he married and had a son in 1928. As far as I know, he only had one child, and he definitely only married once, according to records. Mm-hmm. Was he a good father? It didn't say anything about it otherwise. Hmm. So, I mean, that they... Actually, I don't even know what the name of his son was because there's nothing I could find online about it. So it's protected. Yeah, it's protected. Um, so on the outside, he seemed to be living this perfect life. He had a beautiful wife, a little family, a military service under his belt, and he was now a doctor. But apparently he had a lot going on under his, quote, sparkling facade. Yeah, but it seems like he's he's hidden his tendencies towards the seedier, darker side of things pretty well by, you know, getting this awesome wife and this having this beautiful child and having this career that you would think on the outside, this this guy's got it all, especially in post-World War One France. Yeah, but it, it gets it gets pretty deep. So mm-hmm. in 1926, that seemed to be um, his biggest year to date. Uh, because he got married, but he also potentially killed his first victim. What? Some will talk about, yeah. Uh, but that's not even the biggest part. I mean, of course, killing her was bad, but, uh, he ran for mayor of the town he practiced in. And he won. He's got his hand in many pies. Yeah, so he ran for mayor in the town that he practiced in. Not lived in, but practiced in. Um, and he hired someone to sabotage the debate, scare his opponent, and won. So, this is not a good guy. Not a good guy. So he was this individual that everybody saw as, you know, a doctor. He did all these practices on the outside. Underneath, he was doing tax evasion, petty theft. And he was lying to people constantly. But I guess because he was a doctor, they overlooked it. Very polarizing character. Yeah. Um, shortly after he won, though, he began to embezzle of the funds of the town. Yeah. But it took them some years to uh, suspend him as mayor, which they did in August of 1931, after they found out about his illegal activities. So he went from 1926 to 1931 as mayor embezzling from this town. So now he's in a position of power. Mm-hmm. On top of having this desire to commit, apparently, murder and 
the embezzlement and petty theft and all right so cool yeah what's this murder about yeah so you would think that you know he was doing being a liar and a a cheat and stealing would be enough between 1926 1931 but then he killed his first victim supposedly which we'll get into that in in a brief second um after he was um suspended as mayor five weeks after that the council elected him to a seat where he was then found stealing electricity and was removed from that seat in 1933 which he at that point had moved to paris so there he was removed as mayor and then they gave him a seat on their council but then he was removed in 1933 from that so in 31 uh, August of 31, he was suspended as mayor. Five weeks later, elected to a seat, and then removed in 1933 from because he was stealing electricity. Who did he have in his back pocket? I don't know. You would think that it's... I mean, from what I've read, it makes it sound like he did all this on his own through... Nobody does anything on their own, though. It would seem to be. Who knows? Maybe his wife was involved in this part. Yeah, or he he had somebody on the council that he was tight with in some way that, I mean, I don't know if he was providing to them or what, but there's, There's, I mean, there are ways, but it's unusual. It just seems that it's unusual that he did all this on his own. I mean, obviously people believed in him if he was elected as mayor in the first place, even with sabotaging everything. But getting removed from being mayor and then all of a sudden you know getting on a council seat seems unusual to me like somebody got him there not that he got himself there from the way it read it sounded like people felt bad for him for being removed as mayor so they gave him a seat on the council but then he started to steal electricity (laughs) oh my gosh so he moved to Paris um, in 1933 and began a reputable practice despite using numerous fake credentials and continuing his practices that were um, illegal under fake credentials. He still continued that activity, but he still built this reputable practice on this street in this place that I cannot pronounce and I won't even try. <laughs> Please try. No, you're funny. <laughs> Um, so, in 1936, he was appointed um, the authority to be able to write death certificates in Paris. Oh, no. This same year, though, he was briefly institutionalized for kleptomania, but was released in early 1937, though he continued to steal, lie, and tax evade. The incredible thing about hindsight reasoning is that we can look at this... And go, this is not going to go anywhere good. And they couldn't, obviously. And I'm sure that paper trails back then were a lot harder to trace. And if he'd moved to a different town, then they probably weren't following the paper trail to Paris. So they may not have known all of these other things. Like, oh yeah, he got removed as mayor. But he could be like, oh well, somebody didn't like me, or it really had mm-hmm. nothing to do with me. I'm this amazing guy. Look at my beautiful wife and my beautiful son and all of my credentials, and I'm a war hero. Neglecting yeah. the jail part. Yeah, I mean, he definitely could. I, I, I tried to find out if 
the town he was born in, if that's where he practiced or near it. But some of these places don't exist anymore because they were right. pre-World War II. And right. a lot of these places in France were destroyed throughout both World Wars. So it was hard to tell. Um, so uh, his time in Paris proved to be the perfect storm for committing and then covering up murders. because No doubt. Uh, yeah, because he was in this amazing city with this cover. Um, so his first victim in 1926 was a woman he was having an affair with. She was, was the daughter of an elderly patient of his. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, neighbors reportedly saw him loading a trunk into his car at the time of her disappearance. But the police investigated, and they found that they believed she was a runaway. So, the case was closed, and she was never seen again. So... I don't know how many people know this, but women are so often listed under this runaway category when they're kidnapped or kidnapped and sold into to the sex trade or when they're murdered. They're always put under this, they're runaways, and then nobody goes and looks for them. Yeah, that's even commonplace now. Yeah, it's still commonplace now. And it and the authorities still will go out and be like, oh no. Even if it's like if a girl has run away before, but this time she was actually kidnapped, the cops will go, Oh, well, she's run away before, so you know, we can't do anything about it. She's probably run away this time. And I'm not saying that all cops are like that, but the way that the system is set up, girls disappear in the night and they never come back and they're listed as runaways if they're abducted. That's one of my own personal fears is, you know, being a recovering alcoholic, if I disappear, people might assume that I just started using again or, you know, whatever, and you would be saying, no, no, she's been straight for years now. Oh, I absolutely no. You would never, ever, ever drink again under any circumstance. But having that history puts you in that category of maybe, yep. even though you've been sober for many years now. Yep. And so it's something that I, I, I can totally see where you're coming from with that. And it's something that I see out in my job. You know, we're trained to look for sex trafficking, human trafficking, you know, disappearances for people. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It is it's yeah, terrifying. And it's not seen. It's this, this, that's a whole nother episode for a whole nother day. But I know that this is just another incident of that. And I'm sure that there are going to be more in his story. Oh my. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's carry on. So she disappeared um, and never resurfaced. So at this point, we're in early 1937 since we backtracked a little. So, so he's what, 40 years old? I don't do math. Okay. What year was he born again? 1898? 97? 1897. Yeah, he's 40. Yeah. So, in 1940, after the fall of France to Germany, um, he began to provide disability documentation to French citizens that were drafted by Germany, as well as to treat illnesses of those returning from the war. Okay, that's a good thing. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm you know, if you... If you don't want to fight for the Nazis, I mean, and this dude's giving you some papers to be like, you ain't got to fight for the Nazis, go fight for the resistance. Why would you say that's a bad, that's a good thing? Uh, that's, okay. The resistance. Oh, is there, 
Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. It gets interesting. Okay. So in July of 1942, he was convicted of overprescribing narcotics, but the two addicts that were going to testify against him disappeared. Oh dear. So subsequently, for overprescribing those narcotics, he was fined, and then nothing else came of it. Of course not. So around the same time frame, he he proclaimed during his trial that he joined the French Resistance and subsequently provided lethal means of ending German lives that would leave no evidence behind. <laughs> well practiced in that already. Yeah, however, there is no evidence to support his claims in this. Um, however, in 1980, some evidence resurfaced of this being possible, but nothing was ever confirmed. So he was bolstering his own numbers. It, that I mean, that's that's typical of psychopaths. Oh, when you find out what he did, you'll see why he was trying to justify whatever he could. Oh, so um, so it was during this period of World War II that he began to perfect the perfect disguise for his new plan, and he found an extremely lucrative business. Uh, in offering Jewish citizens a route out of German-occupied France. Oh, no. Yeah. He claimed, under an alias, that he had a route to South America through Portugal. He claimed that he could, for 25,000 francs a person, which is around $75,000 in today's currency, um, that he could provide this route from Portugal to South America. Oh, my God. So, but obviously, this was a lie. With the help of three accomplices, victims were directed to him where he posed a ruse, claiming that he could offer them vaccines when he ultimately injected them with cyanide. Oh my God. He took their valuables and then disposed of their bodies. At first, he dumped the bodies um, in a river, but then he later soaked the bodies in quicklime and incinerated them. So, basically, during World War II, he used World War II as a cover to murder people. And he chose, well, pretty much whoever the he weakest. could, but he chose the weakest, most vulnerable of those citizens to kill. And he didn't, it didn't even seem to matter if they were Jewish or not, but that was just, I mean, his kleptomania was so extreme that he was willing to murder for it. Because he wanted to steal. Because he wanted to steal. Man, that is dark. Yeah. So, in 1941, he bought a house that he had specifically, specially soundproofed. Oh. Yep. He had a furnace in his basement where he burned the bodies. Despite trying to keep a low profile, he drew the attention of the Gestapo, with whom we know are the Nazi police. And this happened in April of 1943. Uh, but they assumed this route was part of the resistance. So he had wow. diverted the Gestapo into thinking, oh, it's just the French resistance. Instead of him actually in this, this side business of stealing from people and murdering them with cyanide and possibly other chemicals. But cyanide seems to be what they have discovered to be his main one. So um, in 1943... So, this was April of 43. So, later in 43, he was arrested on suspicion of aiding the resistance, but was released seven months later. 
You're not, I mean, I'm not even, he's even got me all turned around. That he may or may not have actually been assisting them in his own roundabout sort of way. Because he was just killing everybody. He was just killing whoever he could get money from. Or valuables. Like, yeah, like steal money from, take money from. Yeah. He must have liked the game a lot. It would be interesting to, you know, sit down and have a conversation with someone whose mind is this warped and twisted. Just to see the psychology mm-hmm. behind their thought process. Mm-hmm. Which would be horrifying. Oh, I'm sure. If they'll open up. Some of them do and then they lie. You know, like you said, he did at trial. Or he could have been telling the truth, but nobody knows. Yep. So, as this activity continued, the Gestapo started going, huh, there's something still wrong with this dude. So, they sent a prisoner in to infiltrate the operation that he had with these three other accomplices. So, a German prisoner? It just just said a prisoner. So, I'm assuming it was a French prisoner, because he had to, like... He, this prisoner had to infiltrate and be like, hey, you know, I'm Jewish. I'm looking for a way out of France. Right. So that's what my assumption would be. That makes sense. Yep. So he infiltrated under the guise of needing assistance um, out of France th- through the escape route, but he disappeared. Another man was sent in and was successful. So the first one disappeared. And... The second one went in and found that the route was not a route by the French resistance, was not a route to from Portugal to South America, but was indeed this guise for this dude who was killing people and stealing their money. So then um, the Gestapo found the three accomplices that were working with him and arrested them. Okay, Under- so they took this they took this information from this second prisoner that went in and found it all out and then figured out who his three Marcel's three accomplices were and arrested them. Yeah, arrested them and then under torture they confessed that the doctor's um alias was indeed him uh, that ran the operation and they found out that it was it was him. Well, So, yeah. Um, they were then released in January of 1944 for giving their information. So they tortured them, they spilled their guts, snitched on them, and then they let them, let them go. Yes. That's unusual. Yep. But I guess they were trying to catch him more than anything else. Now, the whole guts of the story. <laughs> oh, there's more? Like, there's oh, more meaty pieces than, than I just heard? The discovery. Oh, no. So, on March 11, 1944, neighbors of his house reported a putrid stench coming from his home and an excessive amount of smoke billowing from the chimney. My question is... If he'd been doing this for a little while, why hadn't they noticed the smoke before March 11th of 1944? I mean, it's it's World War II in Paris, so... Apparently, he was at work when all this was discovered because they contacted him. The police did. And um, he told them to to wait 
before going in until he got home. I can't imagine why. Yeah, but after about 30 minutes of waiting, the police were um, obligated to go in with the fire department to stop the fire from spreading. So, firefighters who responded to it investigated, entered the house through the second story window. There they were met with the sight of human bodies and body parts. And through the second story window? Through the second story window. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Makes you wonder, where was his wife? Where was his wife? Hmm. Where was his wife? Oh. In the basement, they found a roaring fire in the furnace. Upon closer inspection, they found human remains. Uh, more. They found more human remains. But I guess body parts aren't considered remains? I don't know. That's just what it said. It said remains. So, when he arrived home, he claimed that he was part of the resistance and those bodies were German, um, Germans, traitors, and criminals. <laughs> yeah. He was able to get away with that? He thought, perhaps. Well, yeah. But it worked. What? It worked because they released him. They were reluctant what? to arrest him. And they released him. He, they thought that, from what I read, they thought that this practice was indeed possible by the resistance. And so the French police released him. So they then began searching the garage and they found quicklime pits and body parts and canvas sacks. Ultimately, there were enough parts for 10 people. Jeez. Eventually, around 30 bodies were found in the house. This is when the police began to investigate. After 30 bodies were found, they began to investigate. I mean, I know they got a lot going on, but... They, they found body parts in the, in the second story of this house. They went down and found a furnace with burning body parts. And they let him go. And then they started investigating more. And they found his garage at quicklime pits and went, hmm, yeah, now this is really suspicious. Mm. Yeah, it's so odd because in America, in this day and age, that wouldn't happen. I would, right. I would hope that wouldn't happen. But this was 1944, you said, right? Roundabouts, yeah. So, I mean, VE Day didn't happen until May of 1945. So, I'm oh, not yeah. saying... Yeah, I'm not saying that it was likely or not, but having body parts in your house probably wouldn't have been entirely unusual. The police, that's what I've read. The police didn't think that that practice was entirely uncommon. So, apparently they had maybe seen this in the past. Right. But, so... And with him being a doctor, maybe he was trying to figure, you know help dispose of them he'd have had the perfect cover yeah you know for disposing of the body parts of civilians or soldiers or well, he could also write death certificates right so he they were like he's just a makeshift morgue but there's no time or place to put anybody right now because we're at war yeah um mm. so at this point his wife was arrested on suspicion of aiding her husband and the three accomplices were arrested again Again? Again. So, the what, you just said that his wife was arrested? Mm-hmm. So she's he's not gone. dead. Yeah, he's gone. Okay. His wife was arrested for possibly aiding him, and the three accomplices were arrested again. 
So this is what? Was she living with someone else at this time? Because there is no way That's a that good she question. was living in yeah a house with with decomposing bodies. While her, I mean, if her husband's stealing all this stuff, maybe he could bankroll her to be in a different place. Maybe while he did this, I'm not. I'm not trying to like. It, it would you know. be. It would. It. I couldn't find anything on that. The um, two of the bodies that were found in the house were the two missing narcotic addicts that were supposed to testify against him in 1942. We knew that. The Gestapo then told the French police about his earlier arrest for smuggling Jews. They began to then really investigate him. <laughs> so, so the Gestapo actually helped the French, French police... police. In 1944, Well, they France. wanted to bust them, too, because he's smuggling, uh, supposedly smuggling Jews. I mean, this is a bad dude if you got the Germans helping the French <laughs> during World War II. Yeah, but the whole investigation stopped um, in, on June 6th of 1944 because um, of the Normandy invasion of France. Right. So everything ceased then, and during the next seven months, he hid with his friends, claiming um, the lie that the Gestapo was after him for killing Germans and informers. Of course. He assumed an identity and joined the French forces of the interior. So he became a soldier again? Mm. He was later busted. (laughs) You know, added to the list. He was later busted when an article was released about his heinous acts, and he was sent... Um, he then sent a letter to the defense attorney in his 1942 case claiming that the article written about him was a lie. So he had assumed an alias as somebody Another else. Another one. Read an article about him as Marcel Petio, got angry, wrote his defense attorney from his narcotic trial, and said, it's all a lie. That is not how it happened. So, uh narcissistic Mm, much very much so the police then realized he's still in paris on october 31st of 1944 he was arrested at a train station and was found with 50 pieces of identification on him were my brain's going in so many different places right now were those 50 pieces of identification for aliases for him, or were they like trinkets from victims that he kept? I, I don't know. It didn't specify. I would almost assume both. I have so many questions, Raven. I know, and I wish I had the answers, but the internet is limited on Dr. Satan. Oh, Dr. Satan? That's that what the French called, called him. Yep, oh the French gosh. ended up naming him Dr. Satan. I, I, I would agree with that. That's, that's a yep. good, good nickname. So, he was then placed on death row. But, he maintained his innocence the entire time. How long was he on death row? Uh, from 44 to 46. So, two years. And the whole time? He, he proclaimed that he was innocent. He asserted that the bodies um, that he found... He, that he found the bodies in February of 1944. And that he had only killed enemies of France. So, again, he's using World War II as a cover for his own malicious acts. Right. What about the ones from before the war? 
What about the ones from before the war? Hmm. Hmm. Were those part of his trial? Oh, everything was. Okay. Um, I didn't know if it was like a trial of character or if they were... Well, the French and the Gestapo seemed to have worked together through this, and the French found that he had no friends in the resistance and no connections. But he said he proclaimed that he did, but they couldn't mm-hmm. find anything when they investigated. He'd but then probably again, just say they were all dead anyway. Yeah, and then again, who would say, yeah, he's my friend? I, I certainly I wouldn't. Know I don't know him from Adam. <laughs> so he went on trial in March of 1946. Finally, he confessed to killing 19 of the 27 people found in his home, but later through the trial admitted to at least 60 murders, stating, though, that they were German enemies. They still count as people. Agreed. His defense tried to paint him as a hero, but obviously (laughs) that didn't work out because he was subsequently charged with 26 murders and sentenced to death. He was executed via guillotine at 5.05 a.m. on March 25th of 1946. So from 1926 to 1946 for, you know, little, give or take, 20 years, depending, he was murdering people Mm -hmm. and lying, offhandedly lying about everything and using who he, using this guise to... um, from what I, I have thought about, narcissistic, uh, borderline personality, and kleptomania seem to be, you know, as well as obviously being a sociopath and a psychopath, those seem to be the biggest one being kleptomania, which drove him to do everything that he did. There have only been, um, even though he's one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of the world um, that didn't commit genocide, um, he... <laughs> What's his numbers, though? I mean, he... They say that it could be um, anywhere between 60 to 200, but they're not entirely sure. They He admitted to at least, at least 60. So, there have only when been... When does genocide start? I don't know. I think 60 is a pretty heavy number. Yeah. I mean, I think one's a heavy number, but, you know, they, they found him um, for 26 murders. I guess the body parts they found, they can only piece together 26 people, even though they said they had about 30. Mm. But also, we don't know how many of those were also children, if mm-hmm. he even killed children. But it didn't seem... I don't think it would have made a difference. He was with who he was. Um, only two movies have been done about him and a couple of books, but most of his, his deeds are still not known. Wow. So apparently... I just looked it up because I had to know. Genocide is defined as the acts committed with an intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group. It doesn't give you a necessary, necessarily a number. So in his case, it wouldn't have. Yeah, but I mean, he, 60, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't after one group of people. Right. So no, he was after every money. people and their money. Right. Yep. He was after money. Wow. So, so I was thinking kleptomania, narcissistic personality, psychopathy, possibly borderline personality disorder too. I would, from what I've heard, agree to that. He's, I mean, he has the guillotine was too good for him. You know, they they I could find I found very little on him, but I found his time of death. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, this was sensationalized. I mean, the the French public tore this apart. 
I mean, think about it. This this dude covered up his axe with a war. It was the perfect cover. It was the perfect cover. I mean, it was absolutely the per. I mean, I'm sure there are other serial killers, you know, during wars. I know there are. I've I've done research on them. When I heard about him, I was I was like, we we've got to talk about him because I didn't know anything about this dude, and he is horrific, to say the least. Yeah, I haven't. I think because it's easy to pull at our heartstrings to know that he did it to innocent people during such a terrible, trying time, but he also did it to people before the war started. That he had grown. He cultivated a relationship with and then betrayed. Mm -hmm. And so what about his wife during the trial and everything? We don't know. We don't know what happened to her. There's no, there's no, nothing I can find about what happened to his wife, his parents, um, or his son. I'm assuming his son stayed out of the public eye for obvious reasons. Right. Um, But I have no idea what happened to his wife or those three accomplices. At this day and age, if he had if he had been around during modern times now, his wife would have been front and center because people would have wanted to know, just like I want to know, what part she played in this. Because she yeah. clearly played some part. Or was she a unwilling participant out of fear? Was it Stockholm? Might have been. They'd yeah. been together for a while. I mean, they'd been married for what... 20 years or something. The entire time, it sounds like he he hadn't murdered anybody till after he married her, it sounded like. And that's when he killed his first victim, shortly after marrying her. Hmm. So he was married to her the entire time that he was developing and then becoming a mass murderer. It really makes me wonder what, what she, if she was culpable for any of it possibly yeah i mean they didn't execute her though so they didn't put her on trial so i haven't found anything about it that's crazy Mm-hmm. so that is that is marcel petio well, i enjoyed that there you go and i look forward to the next episode <laughs> so our pearl of wisdom that we're going to state at the end of every episode some thing that we've heard or we know about or whatnot. Um, the one that we came up for this episode was something our grandfather used to say, which is don't take any wooden nickels. <laughs> you want to tell him what that means? So it means, um, it's a saying that came out in the 19th century when nickels were valuable enough to be counterfeited. People would make a piece of wood and paint it to look like a nickel. Then, people's bosses will remind their employees not to, quote, take any wooden nickels, end quote, and check the authenticity instead of relying on superficial appearances. So basically, I brought this one up because you should be cautious on who you trust and make sure you know who they are before you place precious items or things or people with them. Very apropos. (laughs) So, until next time. Today's episode was written by Raven Hutto. Sound editing and mixing by Raven Hutto. 
Our theme song was composed by Steve Brindley. Today's sources can be found on our Facebook and Instagram at Twins Discuss Podcast. The Twins will be back with the new episode next week.